Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to all of you who have been writing ratings and reviews for the show as a way to get a free 30-minute private session with me. That's right. If you want a free private 30-minute session, just me and you, not aired on the show, then all you need to do is write a review of the podcast on iTunes and then go to christinehasser.com slash review, submit your review, and you're entered to win a session with me. And I've been loving reading all the reviews. Thank you so much. I love this audience so much. And you are going to love my guest today, Michelle Masters. She's going to take you through an incredible exercise that really will blow your mind open when it comes to money. Let me tell you a little bit more about Michelle. She is an internationally best-selling author and has been a personal development trainer and coach since 1995. Michelle's work is an innovative use of neuroscience-based change techniques, family constellation works, and quantum healing modalities combined with profound understandings of what creates transformation and lasting change for people. Her hugely popular Money Magic Workshop has helped people all over the world to transform their lives and money. I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Michelle because I really did. Before we dive in, do you have your Organifi products? You've heard me talk about Organifi before. They're one of my favorite superfood nutrition companies because everything they have is organic. Everything is really dedicated to your health and well-being. We have some travel coming up, so I definitely will be taking their immunity packs on the plane with me. It's packed with vitamin C and other immune boosting ingredients. It tastes delicious, not too sweet, not too sour, just right. I sound like Goldilocks. Anyway, immunity is just one of their amazing products. I love their green juice, their red juice, their gold. You can get 20% off of all your Organifi purchases when you go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it. That's Organifi.com slash over it for 20% off all of your yummy, nutritious products. And now on to my interview with Michelle Masters. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Christine. Well, you have been coaching people since 1995, which is amazing. I thought starting in 2004, I had been coaching people a while, <laughs> while, but you've taught me by, taught me by about a decade. So I, I'd love to start with, I'm obviously been doing this a long time throughout mm-hmm. the years. What would you say is one kind of theme that you see comes up in people over and over and over, no matter who's president, no matter what year it is, no matter what's going on in the world, what do you see as a repetitive theme with people? Oh, gosh. Well, there are a couple, but I will tell you the experience of uh, so many people that they are not enough, Mm. that they're not worthy or deserving, um, that they have to earn their worth or deserving and do more. Um, That's one of the more pernicious ones that I see come up over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes into imposter syndrome and all of that. And it seems like no human being escapes without that belief. I'm not enough in some way. Well, if they do, they don't show up at my workshops, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, it's, well, you know, your sense of your worth is pretty much in place by age three. Mm. And that once that's laid down there, um, Unlike your phone, your brain is not designed to update itself. Mm. It's actually designed, your brain is designed to stabilize. And so the big decisions about life, like who we are, what life is like, what we deserve, um, those are in place between three to six years old. And then the system is designed to perpetuate those. 
And so I meet a lot of people who, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they've done a lot of conscious work or cognitive work to expand their sense of what's possible or who they are. But that actually happens in a different part of the brain. And so it doesn't change the foundational patterning. Mm. And so people keep beating their head against the wall. What does change the foundational patterning? Yeah, well, to, to change the foundational patterning, you have to access the parts of the brain that were developing at the time those neural pathways were laid down. Because they actually are, they start as associations, right? It starts even in the womb. Like, I'm here, it's like this, simultaneous, ergo related. Like, there's no cognitive, like, thought yet. There's just pure association, right? Mm. So if a kid's like you, it can start even in the womb. There you are floating around. One or both parents are stressed. Like that tiny little forming being feels the stress, and they have no cognitive ability, but they associate it with themselves. Like, oh, it must be me. I must be too much, or it must be life. Life must be hard or stressful, etc. And then that those associations, if you don't die, become part of your foundational worldview. Mm-hmm. And all of us have some experiences of okay, or we wouldn't you wouldn't be on this call. You'd be living under a bridge somewhere, right? Right. And all of us have some experiences of oh, maybe I'm not, or you wouldn't be doing this. You'd be off, you know, kite surfing or whatever. Whatever it is, those people who don't have these problems do. Like I said, I don't meet them. Yeah, yeah. But um, so so when it comes to changing it, you have to access. The, the parts of the brain that were developing at the time those original associations got laid down, and it's you know going to be slightly different for everyone, um, but if you can access those, and, and uh, people always want to know how, and I can teach you how, but it takes like two years <laughs> to do it well. Um, but when you access there, and when you, when you change it there, then the change is permanent. Mm. It's a little like rewriting software. You know, if if your software isn't doing what you want, all the affirmations in the world aren't going to change your computer's software, right? right? And using willpower to try to mentally override your software doesn't work either because God knows I've I've tried shaming my computer. Mm -hmm. It still runs the same software. And this is what we do to ourselves. We shame ourselves. We try to use willpower. We try affirmations. And what really has to happen is we need to get access to those original neural pathways and then revise them. And then it's just done. Mm, mm. It's right. Well, and I know you said it could take two years and I I hear that. Um, But some people actually might be in the process of doing that and they may not even know it. So is that, you know, going back and working with the inner child? Is it going back and feeling emotions? Like what are some of the things that are involved in in accessing that part of the brain? Right. Well, uh, I was a, I have been an NLP trainer for many, many years. And so, um, you know how when people are thinking, they'll often look places? Yes. That has significance. And that's actually unconscious processing. And so there's a tool that we used where um, you can ask somebody a question. Well, even when they start telling you what's wrong, they will, they will like map out with their body and their eyes, like certain patterns you can watch fire off. And so those start to let you know where the unconscious material is, where it's stored and how. You don't Mm -hmm. know what it is, but you know where it is and whether it's stored in pictures or sounds or a combination of picture, sounds, feelings. Mm. And so then it takes a little bit of skill to get that from unconscious into conscious. But at that point, once it's conscious, then you can start to explore what the decisions were, what that kid thought it meant about them, about the world, about 
you know, um, whatever seems relevant. You know, if you're working on money about money, if you're working on love about love, you can start to get, you know, all the associations that became decisions that became beliefs. And then sort of one by one, you can go and start to make new new associations. So I, typically, I use anchoring because it automatically, it uses the body's um, innate tendency to want to make associations. You can use that to make more useful associations now and get those wired into that original neural net. Mm. Mm, I love that. No, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's a modality, everybody, that's takes a while to learn. You can't just go to an NLP workshop <laughs> in a weekend and say that you're trained because it's, it's very, very specific. And I love it. I've, I've, I'm not an expert in it, but have used it and have um, worked with practitioners. And I really feel like it, you know, using the computer metaphor again, it, it really helps with the programming part of it, yeah. programming part of our yeah. brain. I'm curious, Michelle, because one thing that seems to be a block for a lot of people is they don't have memories of their childhood, especially Mm -hmm. before the age of three. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes they have this not enough feeling and they, they may, let's say their aunt tells them, oh, when you were in the womb, like your parents were arguing all the time, or they have a lot of anxiety or something like that. And they're like, oh, I can connect those dots. And then that can give them some peace and maybe inspire them to do some healing around it. But for so many people, they have zero memories. So Mm -hmm. do we need to remember our childhood or have someone tell us something in order to do this kind of healing work? Um, well, I do meet a lot of people who say that and, um, as I said, it takes a fair amount of skill, but almost always using uh, kind of the tools we got, we can get access to enough mm-hmm. um, to be able to make a difference. Sometimes the anecdotal stories that people tell or that other people tell them, sometimes those can be useful. You know, and, and what I will do is I'll notice how when they talk about the anecdotal story, how do they look? Does it look the same as what I've been looking at the whole time I've been talking to them? Right. Mm-hmm. Does it look the same? Does it sound the same as, as the stuff they've got going on? And then if we do any change work, does it look like the, the, the physiology changes? Because if not, then then it's we're barking up the wrong tree. Mm-hmm. Mm, that makes so much sense. And I, I have found that as I work with people, memories do come back often, or it's maybe not mm-hmm. an exact memory, but it's a mm-hmm. knowing. It's a knowing yeah. of something. Yeah. 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 Or people will say, I feel like I'm making it up. And it's like, well, of all the things you could be making up, how interesting that you're making up this. Right. Right. Um, the other thing that makes it a little complicated, and I don't, this could be a whole can of worms we might not open, should have opened, but there, one of the toughest things I face with people is something called unconscious family loyalties. Mm-hmm. Yep. And these, these are things that, that people take on out of love and loyalty for their family that didn't even happen to them. And kids do this because they want to heal the family. Like there's never been a child born in the history of humanity who did not want to heal their family. Yep. There has also never been a child born in the history of humanity who has pulled it off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think we've all tried. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes the trying goes on for the rest of our lives and we're not even aware of it. But there's usually three main ways the kid tries. And the first way they try is through love. I will love them so much that we'll all be okay. Right. And because their love is so enormous and so pure and because they have zero sense of proportion, this feels reasonable. It never works. If it actually worked, every single parent would be instantly healed upon the birth of their first child. It would be like, oh, 
dear, I, I thought I had a problem, but we had a baby and I'm fine. Like childbirth would be the recommended form of personal development if it actually worked, right? Right. Never works. So then the kid often tries to take the pain from the parent. Here, I will have this problem so you can be okay. I will be the one who feels worthless. I will be the one with anxiety and depression. I will be the one who was molested. And sometimes they ha- they actually get themselves to have the experience. And sometimes they just have the feelings without having gone through it. Yeah. But, but it feels real. Yeah. And so then they've got an experience that's not theirs, so they can't actually change it. Yep. And yep. those are the hardest to work with, right? Yeah. And could we say the same for, let's say we had a parent who was very critical of themselves. We may have a really strong inner critic because we model that or a parent who is really insecure or a yes. parent who is explosive. We tend to, even if that they might've had something that happened in their childhood that created that, but we might've just modeled it from them and Correct. taken it on as an attempt to, well, you didn't fix this. So I'll try to. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Now I, I think that's a good can of worms. And I think this audience can really understand that because we talk a lot about generational patterns and we oh, talk a lot about how we're sponges and we often parent ourselves the way we were parented. And so mm-hmm. we grow up in the world and we're, we have all, this is, this is what I find tricky in as a coach. And I'm curious if you experience this. Sometimes a client who has had has, who's never read a personal development book is almost easier to work with than someone that comes in <laughs> with so much personal development awareness because they have so much awareness. But like you said, the foundation, the program hasn't been shifted. So they're in this like push pull of, well, I know I should be this and I have all this awareness and I can connect this dots, but things aren't changing. Do you experience right. that? Right. Well, yeah, these are some of my actual favorite clients because they've done they've done a lot of the legwork. And now what needs to change is that we need to get access to the patterns that are still the neurological patterns that are still holding the stuff in place. Or yeah. if in the case of the family loyalties, the the it's, it's not neurological patterns, but uh, whatever it is that's holding the stuff still in place. And then when you when that shifts, like it's almost like all the other stuff that was in the buffer that was just waiting sort of all kind of clicks into place. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's huge. It's it's mm-hmm. so important to do that level of work because otherwise, like you said, you're just sort of in the head and you're just sort of repeating knowledge and connecting dots. You're not getting at the actual like foundation and programming that's there. What would be, for people listening, what would be some indicators that, okay, they've done a lot of work. They've maybe, they're feeling a little more confident. They got out of that terrible job, but they still have some things that indicate there's a deeper level to go. What would be some of those indicators that there's deeper work calling them? Well, one of the easiest ways to kind of see what you actually believe is look at your life. Like what's your life like? Um, what are the things that happen? Like who are the people that show up or don't show up? Right. What are the events that happen that, or don't happen? And, um, you know, at this point, because I've done a lot of this work and I still need to keep doing work. And when I need to do work, I go see somebody else because I can't be conscious of my own unconscious patterns. Right. Yes, me too. Um, so I always go to somebody else, but, um, at the, I've cleared a lot of stuff up. And so at this point, if I get really clear on something I want, Usually getting clear on what I want is enough and it shows up very quickly. Like I don't have to do action steps, right? 
because there's no, there's no drag. There's no blocks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no blocks. There's no drag. And so if there's something I want that doesn't show up, I get really curious, like, okay, so what's going on, right? It could be one of two things. It could either be there's a different timing that will actually be better that hasn't worked out yet, or I've got some old stuff in the way. Yeah. I love that you said you get curious versus you beat the crap out of yourself and question why you're not moving <laughs> forward. Cause that's what a lot of people listening and, and myself at times does. It's like, what am I doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. But right. curiosity is magical when it comes and, to growth. And what I would say is, is none of you are broken, lazy, or stupid. Mm-hmm. If you don't have what you want, there's, there's a reason. And it's, it's, it's not a character flaw. Right. It's probably there's just old patterning in the way. You know, one of the the metaphors I use all the time is um, if you're like 40 years old, let's imagine a 40 story building, like one story for every year. The first three to six levels of a building are the foundation, right? Right. Much of which is below ground, kind of like below conscious awareness. So if somebody at 40 does a whole lot of personal development and expands their awareness, that's like expanding the 40th floor of the building without touching the foundation. Oof, that's going to topple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. So, But when you expand the foundation and when the foundation gets more solid, then the, the, the entire structure is more stable and can support a bigger and bigger platform. Yeah, I love this. And if people are looking to do this kind of work, um, what kind of coach or therapist should they be looking for to help them? Because I know that's another question I get a lot on this show is I've been going to therapy for 20 years, but it hasn't really shifted anything. How do I find someone? What should I look for? Can you shed light on any of that? Oh gosh, that's a good question, huh? I know it's a tough one. It's like you, yeah, you, you kind of just feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I've always done it. Um, cause, because I, I know people who've gone through all kinds of accredited programs who can't get much done. And I know people who, you know, are just, I, I technically, all I have is an NLP certification and the state of California does not reckon, recognize NLP as a credible like profession. Right. 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 That's, and that's, but, um, but it, it seems to work for me. Yeah. So I would say it's hard to say. I mean, almost everybody who comes to me comes from word of mouth. Like I don't, uh, I've never gotten it together enough to advertise. Um, One of my, one of the things that I um, learned in grad school, they were doing a, uh, they were talking to us about what makes a good practitioner. Uh-huh. This is my grad school in psychology. And they talked about a study, and I can't remember the exact study, but it was a study studying all kinds of therapists, I think maybe a thousand therapists. And they were trying to come to a conclusion of what makes a good therapist. Was it, you know, how many years they'd been in school, how many hours they'd been doing it? And the the mind-blowing conclusion that they came up with was some people just have a knack for this. That's <laughs> what the study released. We'll This is where NLP came from, is they decided to study the people who were actually, who'd had the same training as everybody else, but were actually getting much better result and and keep like modeling out everything they were doing to see if they could find the difference that made the difference. And so one of the beautiful things about NLP is it's kind of the distilled best of the best geniuses of both therapy, sales, and communication. I mean, I don't use the sales, but clearly, but um but they kind of just took the people who could get changes nobody else could and, and and saw what they could figure out about what those people were doing that was different. Mm-hmm. So that's where it came from. It didn't come from any theory. It was like, can we replicate this? And what do we have to do to replicate it? Yeah. 
And I kind of go to the spiritual intentional side of me too. And I have found whenever I've really dropped inside and, and been super intentional about the help I'm calling forward and put that signal out to the universe of like, this is a level of help I'm asking for. Somehow I find the person. It just, it just happens. It's the old, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You can't get a better database than that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to talk about money for a moment because I know this is one of your areas of passion and expertise and you even have a money magic workshop and program that you teach, but you talk about the relationships that people have with money. What are, <laughs> what are, and this is great because a lot of times we don't think, wait, relationship with money, you either have money or you don't have money. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you have relationship with money, just like you do with people. So what are some of the common types of relationships people have with money? Yeah, even before they asked me to create the Money Magic Workshop, I started noticing I would get people that would come to me as clients and they would say things like, you know, I don't want to have to think about money. I don't want to have to deal with it. I just want it to be there when I need it. Like like money is this big nuisance. And I, I started to like feel bad for money, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and <laughs> I, I was imagining if you were advertising for a relationship and you said, you know, I don't want to have to think about you. I don't want to have to deal with you. I just want you to be there when I need you. Send photo, you know, like who would answer that ad? Um, <laughs> so that was one of the first ones that I noticed was this treating money like it was a nuisance. And I'll just say really quickly, I would have, if you had asked me the top thousand things I might teach a workshop on, money wouldn't have even been in the top thousand, but I was asked to. Huh. Yeah, I was asked to create a two-day workshop on money, and I was so thrilled to do a workshop. I said yes before realizing what I had done. Um, and since I knew nothing about money, what I decided to do is play to my strength. And so I took all these processes around change, and I just applied them to money, tried them out on me. They even worked on me. <laughs> and so that's how this all started. But some of the other relationships with money that I've noticed are the kind of an angry adolescent, like, where's my freaking money? You know, like yeah. somebody owes me. Yep. And Again, I go back to if you advertise for, you know, where the are you? I've been waiting for you. Why haven't you showed up? Like nobody's. Well, people actually would answer that. Ad, but I don't know that that's a good idea. Right. Um, another one is a sort of kind of undeserving, like, oh, I can't ask for, I don't deserve, I'm not. That's, you know, that's not for me. I mean, I, I, I'm probably bothering you, right? Mm. There's a lot of people with that kind of relationship to money. Um, another one, and I had, I have to, I have to confess, I had a pretty good case of this before I did this workshop, Mm -hmm. created the workshop and realized, oh yeah, that's That's me. uh, That's that's not good. Yeah. And it was this sort of, I am not interested in money. I am a spiritual person. I am interested in more important things. Now imagine if you did that ad, I'm not interested in you. You are base and crass. I am lofty and, and spiritual, you know? Mm. So, um, and actually the, the, the superior one is usually kind of the same as the worthless one. It's just showing up a little differently. Right. It's like the bully is kind of the same issue as the kid who's getting bullied. They're just both really, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, so these were some of the unuseful things that I started to notice, And so we started to try on different relationships to money and what worked best. And one of the interesting things that I have found um, over the years of doing this is when you clear up all the kind of 
family associations and cultural associations, all the stuff that's been projected onto money, when you kind of clear that all out, the energy of money always shows up the same. It always shows up as the energy of blessings. Mm, I love of that. Blessings. Mm. Yeah. And like who would say, you know, love of blessings is the root of all evil? Right? <laughs> that makes, it makes no sense. And so once I started to really kind of get a sense of that, I, I realized money is one of the ways. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways the universe wants to love us. Yes. And... Uh. I love that. I just want to let that land. Money yeah. is one of the ways the universe wants to love us. Yes. Yeah. And people who are spending so much of their, their life and their energy helping others, you know, how sad and, and, and sharing blessings with others, how sad if, if they're struggling so, right? That doesn't help them and it doesn't help others. And so, um, you know, this whole idea that it's not spiritual to make money. I, I don't know who started this idea. You can't actually blame the orig the originators of Christianity because Jesus wasn't poor. That's true. His uncle was one of the richest men in the world, right? Buddha wasn't poor. So I don't know where this idea comes from because poverty doesn't bring people into harmony. Mm. Mm. It doesn't it's make not, you more spiritual either. No, it doesn't. Mm -mm. No, it doesn't. Mm -mm. Um, and there are incredibly uh, generous, kind people with money. And there are people without money who are meaner than snakes, right? True. So it's not about uh, whether or not you're a good person because you can find good people. Uh, actually, I think everybody's a good person, basically. But a lot. some people have a, a lot that's kind of turned in against themselves. But you can find good, kind people at any income level. Um, there's no need. There's plenty of money. There is no need for anyone to suffer and struggle anymore. It's just no need. Mm, mm, I love that. And once we start to identify what our relationship with money is like, then what do we do to go about shifting it? One of the things I do in the workshop, and I put it in the book as well, because I know there's some people that will never be able to make it to a workshop, is a kind of simple exercise for, first off, noticing all the stuff that you've been projecting onto money and who is it like whose stuff is that like who a lot of people have projected either their mother or their father onto money mm. or they're carrying their mother and or father's relationship to money like in them so there's a really simple exercise that i have in the in the book if you want to try it out yeah that, i love that yeah yeah yeah. oh you want to do it now sure that's cool all right so it helps a lot if, if people can get up and move. I don't know. It, uh, typically, we have two chairs across from each other, although they, you, don't, they don't, you don't have to be sitting, but two chairs right across from each other, and then a third chair that's kind of in an observer position. Mm -hmm. Okay. So should I just take you through this? Sure. Okay. So the first thing you do is sit, you sit in your chair across from money. Okay. And you just notice what it's like to be you across from money and do your best to not try and put a good face on it or make it be what you want it to be. It's actually ideal if you just notice how it actually feels. So how does it feel? It actually feels comforting. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So notice that. Then if you were able to stand up and get up, I don't know if you can because I know you're recording. <laughs> it but, might be um, tricky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. connected. But it, yes, I know. But mm -hmm. it's... It, so when, when people can do it, it does help to kind of clean or delineate, but you would leave all of Christine in the chair that's Christine's, and then you would sit down in the other chair into the energy of money 
across from Christine and just notice what it's like to be in the energy of money. What does that feel like? It feels expansive. Okay. Um, it feels a little stressful. Okay. Thank um, you. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'd say Anything those two things. No, that, that sums yes, it up. Right. Okay. So expansive. So usually if there's nothing else there, the energy of money shows up as warm, expansive, benevolent, um, like blessings, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the expansive part, that feels about right. So the stressed, stressful part, mm-hmm. who does that remind you of, Christine? Dad. Dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's some of your dad, dad's energy mixed in there. So what we would do is we would get a chair and put it next to the money chair. And that chair is for your dad, right? Mm-hmm. Then you would like take this, his energy. You would stand up, go over, sit down in the other chair, like give him his own damn chair, right? Put <laughs> it, let his energy be there. You don't have to change it. You don't have to do anything. Just give it its own, his, his energy, its own spot. And then sit back down into money and just notice what does it feel like now? Same, different? Hmm. Just more the expansive. Okay. Okay. So then I would say, good, leave that there, get up and go to the observer chair and, and kind of look at, so you can see there's Christine across from her is money and there's her dad. He's got his own chair. From the observer chair, what can you notice? Well, the thing that came up is everything seems to be in its rightful place. Okay. Okay. Well done. So go back to your chair mentally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sit back down in your chair. What's that like? Peaceful. Okay. So then just to kind of formalize it, I would say um, you look at your father in your mind's eye. Say, dear father. Dear father. I had confused you with money. I had confused you with money. You're not money, you're my father. Mm, You're not money, you're my father. And then look at money, say, dear money. Dear money. I had confused you with my father. I confused you with my father. You're not my father, you're money. You're not my father, you're money. Hmm. What's that like? Clear. Yeah. 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 Now, some, now yours was fairly, uh, you know, and it seems like you probably have a pretty good relationship with money. Yours was pretty, uh, there wasn't a lot there. Some people have a ton of stuff. You know, I had, I had one woman, uh, she had practically all of Korea in oh, the money chair, right? Yeah, we needed a lot of chairs that day. Um, she had so much of her family and cultural stuff in there. And sometimes it doesn't show up in the money chair. Like I said, sometimes it shows up in the person's own chair. It's like, oh, money's just fine, but I, but I don't feel, you know, I, I, I just feel contracted. And I'll have to say, mm. okay, who does that remind you of? And then we have to get it out of the person's chair. Mm, I love that. I love but that. Just, just that clarity of, oh, okay, yeah. That's not money. That's dad or mom, right? Or that's grandma. Yeah. This, it's astonishing how simple it is and yet how much that can start to shift. Yeah, that was beautiful. And, you know, I, I've done quite a bit of work on, on money in the past. So that's why it was, if you had talked to me 20 years ago, this would have been a longer process. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, interesting that dad came up because as a child, just watching him work really, really, really hard so that we, yeah. we were provided for. And, right. you know, that was definitely, you know, the parent I associated with, okay, this is who makes money and 
this is how it looks. And so, so right. much of my relationship was, with money was uh, unattaching from, I have to work really, 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 really hard yeah. in order to make money, you know? And because there's a part of me that believed that if I didn't, and if I wasn't stressed, then I wouldn't have it. So, right. but I've never had experienced anything about like see, taking dad out of why well, I, I visualized a pile of money out mm-hmm. of that pile and seeing him in his own chair. And it was like, oh, oh, okay. Wow. Those two things were really collapsed yeah. inside. And this makes so much sense in terms of why money is so connected to our self-worth and why we have so much anxiety about it. Because if it's in, collapsed or meshed with one or both of our parents or our country or culture or whatever it may be, it's not just money. There's so much more that's attached to it. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for that. So can you just, because people might've been like really immersed in my process. Do you mind just giving the instructions for that one more time so people can really do this on their own? Do you want me to do it at the pace that they would do it or just lay out kind of the sequence? I think just lay out the sequence and I bet people can do it on their own. Okay. So I like to use chairs. You don't have to use chairs, but I like to use chairs. Um, have two chairs face directly across from each other, facing each other. And then a third chair that's kind of in the middle. Well, not, not between them, but sort of off to the side that's sort of equidistant that can kind of look at both. That's the observer chair. So you put yourself in the first chair and look directly across at the second chair, which is the money chair, and you imagine money there. I, I usually think of the energy of money, but whatever whatever people some people do, picture a pile of money, whatever works for you. And you just notice how does it feel when you're in your chair across from money. And again, it's really best if you try to let it be how it actually feels and not try to make it be what you hope it is. Mm -hmm. Just notice, do you feel connected? Does it feel good? Does it feel kind of separate or contracted or distant? Whatever it is, just notice that. Then you get up, you leave yourself in your chair. You go sit in the money chair where you can imagine yourself in the chair across and notice what it's like in the money chair. What does it feel like? Does it feel like warm and generous and benevolent, like blessings, or does it feel like anything else? Because if it feels like anything else, then that's something coming from the family. Sometimes people will say, well, I feel nothing. And I'm like, Mm. okay, thank you. Who in the family felt nothing, Mm. right? Who was pretty closed down? Um, So you just notice whatever's going on over there, because if it's not this sort of warm, friendly, like like the energy of the sun, S-U-N, If it's not that kind of energy, that's probably coming from your family system. And if there's any of that there, then you take that, you ask yourself, who does that remind me of in the family, like parent, grandparent, sometimes a great grandparent. Um, You take their energy over to the side, give them their own chair. And sometimes there's more than one person there. So after you move the first person's energy, you notice you move it out and then you sit back down and notice how is it now? Right. Mm. Mm. Um, and sometimes people will say, it's okay, but it feels disconnected. And I'm like, thank you. Who was disconnected? Right. <laughs> you just keep doing that until it feels kind of warm and available. Then um, you move around to the observer chair and just notice what the energy looks like between you and money from the outside. And then you go sit back down in your chair and notice what it's like now. Because a lot of times, just that simple process, it feels a ton better and a ton more connected. Yeah. 
Is this a process that you do multiple times? You know, I do it a couple times a year, actually. Okay. This is one of the ones that I actually repeat because occasionally my, my relationship with money will, I'll drift into some of my old patterns. Right. But this one, yeah, I, I would do, you can repeat this one. Yeah. Well, I imagine just like a relationship with a partner, mm-hmm. you can't just never deal with stuff. <laughs> you can't just expect, yeah. oh, we had one breakthrough conversation and now we're never going to have another issue in our relationship again. So that yeah. makes sense to come back with it. That was, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing that process, Michelle. That was yes. really awesome. I love the creativity in that too. So I want to, as we start to wrap up, I want to reconnect to something you said in the very beginning of our conversation, which was such a mic drop in the sense that like our brains don't upgrade like our phones do. Mm-hmm. And here we have this rapid acceleration of consciousness going on in yes. the world right now, but we're working with the brain's programming to stay the same. Yes. What do we do? Yes. This is the whole reason I have a job. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, most of us, if you think about since your operating system was laid down in the first three to six years, most of us are trying to run 21st century, like third millennium paradigms with like operating systems from the 1990s or 80s, right? Or yes. 70s or 60s. And you can imagine if you had a cell phone from the 1980s and you were trying to do <laughs> 21st century apps on it. And so uh, this is where going to somebody who knows how to, to rewire this stuff you know, mm. find out the, the the old patterns that are running and revise those to something that's more appropriate for you now, for the adult you now. And where you get to choose as an adult instead of, you know, dying and getting a whole new operating system. But then you got to go through childhood and middle school again and whatever, yeah. you know. Uh, Who wants to do that? that who knows, yeah. right? Yeah. So this way, instead of having to do that, you can, from the, the vantage point of all your experience now, and all your knowledge about who you are and what you want now, you can start to specifically revise those, just those things that are in the way. Because we all, because we don't have to change everything, just the stuff that at this point is a limitation. Now, having said that, we will never be able to update our brains as fast as our consciousness expands, but we can really reduce the distance between the two. Mm. And because of the way that consciousness is evolving, there's going to be more possible for us. Um, there's going to be more parts of us coming online that have not been online for humanity, if ever, for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to be as hard in the future to start to to get s- some of this stuff revised. In fact, in some ways, it's much easier now than it was in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so it's it is going to get easier. Um, and there's no way that anything in three dimensions can keep up with the accelerated um, expansion that's going on right now. Yeah, it's really a ride. I feel in so many ways, those of us on the planet now are kind of the bridge between yeah, yeah. The, the old programming and the new way. And I even see with some of the babies being born, I can't articulate it in words, but I feel something differently with them. Yeah. And I've heard that from midwives too, who say, no, Mm. they're coming in differently. They're coming in differently. That gives me chills. There's hope. Oh, oh, (laughs) Oh, We don't even need hope. Christine, 
this is such a good thing that's happening. I cannot tell you. I was traveling around the world in the last 10 years and especially the last three. The acceleration of consciousness was off the charts. And I can't, I couldn't get over it. And I even there's a recording of me in February of 20, 17th of 2020 saying, I don't understand it. The acceleration is so intense. And on the surface, everything looks the same. And, and that's not sustainable. And within two weeks, the whole world kind of went like, yeah. Not the way I imagined, but incredible in its structure because the entire world got a timeout. Yeah. All momentum, past momentum stopped and everyone got a big chance to think about, okay, where where am I and where do I really want to go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stunning what happened. Yeah, it is. And that's a beautiful conscious way to look at it because I think that there is the urge, oh, I just want things to return to normal. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you don't. <laughs> no, it was not, it was not what it could be yet. Right. And we're in that, we're in the winter, it feels like. Yeah. 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 No, I love that. That's so exciting. All right. And to bring it all the way back full circle, because I really want people to, to understand and the self-worth piece to really land, because I have to say as a coach too, if, if someone asked me the same question, I would have said the same thing that on a, on some level, they think they're broken. They're not good enough. Something's wrong with them and they just aren't enough. Yeah. I see it with everyone. And what's hard is that so many people try to, you know, change their career by going and getting another degree or working harder or change their relationship or their relationship status by getting on an app or getting professional pictures done or dragging your partner to a workshop or something like that. But at the root of all this is self-worth. So how, and I know this is a big question, but you have such a great way of articulating things. Can you explain how self-worth really affects everything, everything from health to money to relationships in our life? Yeah, because we will not let ourselves have more than we think we deserve. Mm -hmm. If we get more than we think we deserve, we will punish ourselves or get it to go away. Like if we make more than we think we deserve, we'll either lose it, get it to go away or blow up some other area of our life. How many times have you seen some athlete or celebrity make a lot of money young and then spectacularly blow up their life? Yeah, because they don't have the foundation to support it. And we are the only species on this planet that does it. Mm. I've got a hundred, uh, like a 300 year old redwood in my front yard. It is not sitting there going, Ooh, is it okay for me to be this big? Am I taking up too much sun? Like our cats and dogs, when it's treat time, they don't question, have I been cat enough today? Right. We're the only species who does it. And it is so unuseful. And the, the opposite of that self-doubt is not overconfidence. This is what some people think it's arrogance. The opposite of self-worth is arrogance. But I will tell you, when people have a true sense of their worth, it is like the experience of being in love. When you're in love, not only do you feel about good about you and the person you love, but everyone looks beautiful. Mm. Like everything is more sparkly and colorful. Everything tastes good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything tastes Mm -hmm. good. And that's what the experience of true self-worth is like. It doesn't make you arrogant. It's such the opposite. It makes everything, you, everything and everyone more beautiful. So there's no downside Mm. to any of us starting to get to experience the beauty that we are, the eternal beauty, wonder and magic that we are. There's no downside. I love that. I love that. But you got to get to those first three floors of the building. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so useful, Michelle, and so helpful. You really walk the talk and I can hear your passion for your work, which is so refreshing and inspiring. I love it. Where do people go to connect with you, to learn more? 
Sure. My website, michellemastersnlp.com, easiest way. Great. It's a beautiful yeah. website that you can navigate like workshop, whether you want to work with Michelle, I'll link that in the show notes. And then you also have your money magic book. Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a, a low impact. Like it's easy to, you know, it's only four ninety nine for on Kindle. So it's an easy way Perfect. to start entering into the field of change. Perfect. And yeah. in that book, I imagine that people are going to be working on their relationship with money and that's, what's going to create the magic. There's at least, I think there's four or five exercises from the Money Magic Workshop that are in the book. They all are designed to do different things. One is around worth. One mm-hmm. is around your relationship to money. One is revising childhood beliefs. And another is around the ancestral mm-hmm. generational piece. So there's there's a lot in there to help start shift stuff. Amazing. Everybody, so grab your copy of that. Last question for you, Michelle. As mm-hmm. we're in this rapid acceleration of consciousness, what is the thing or some things that we can do to really help us with this ascension? You know, somebody if, if somebody handed you like a baby bird that might have an injured wing, imagine how you would be with it, yeah? Yeah. How would you be with it? Can we be at least that kind to ourselves? Mm. At least that, because we are at least as precious, Mm. So this is a big process. It brings that's going on. It's bringing up a lot of stuff to the surface that needs to get revised. Um, and so I would say, give yourself a break for the physical changes you're going through, for the fatigue, for the mental. Like it's a big darn deal what's going on right now. And you are in. You, there's never been a moment when any of us has been alone or unloved. Mm-hmm. And there never will be. And so anything you can do that gives you an experience of that is a blessing for you and everyone you come in contact with. Beautiful advice. Be kind to ourselves. Treat ourselves like the little baby bird, little injured baby bird. That's a beautiful visual. Awesome, Michelle. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, Christine. Christine. 